If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 117. 26 years ago, I gave up bad days. So I've had bad stuff happen to me, but I, I don't see a reason to let it ruin my day. So I just don't. Um, and people go, well, that, that can't be like, you got diagnosed with leukemia. That had to be a bad day. But the reality is, I didn't get diagnosed till 10 o'clock at night. So most of the day was pretty good. Like, why let one little thing ruin your day, you know? Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to... The Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today is Monday, and if you guys have been following along the show, you know Mondays we do our deep dive interviews. Fridays we've got another show, uh, Friday Fires, where it's kind of a short quick uh, thought of the day, which is pretty cool as well. But Mondays are, I don't know which ones are my favorite actually, Mondays or Fridays, but either way, Mondays are our deep dive interviews where I get to bring on some phenomenal guests. And today is no different as I get to bring on someone who's actually pretty close to me in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee right now, but more so I would say we're quite similar in our mindset. So very excited to bring on Jeffrey Holst as he shares his journey into real estate, as well as going from bankruptcy to retired in under, I don't know if it's seven years or under a decade, either way. Um, He shares a lot of great advice on growing a real estate portfolio, how to partner with people, how to create long-term wealth. But even more than that, he shares how cancer has made him live uh, to the fullest. And we really go deep into mindset and living your best life. And we also talk about uh, Jeff's no bad days attitude, which one, I think is just a great attitude to have. Um, but two, again, it's, it's a lot of mindset that uh, just being positive and, and when you're positive, uh, I think good things happen. And when bad things happen, you're able to brush them off and, and move forward Uh much easier and more efficiently. And yeah, again, just a really phenomenal interview as Jeff has quite an interesting story. Um, 
it's probably one of the best podcasts for both real estate advice as well as mindset and positivity. So I'm very excited to share this interview with you. Let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is Jeffrey Holst. Well, first off, Jeffrey, thank you so very much for joining me here on the Art of Awesome podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Nick. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, you are a coach, a podcaster yourself, and a very successful real estate investor, which I'm uh, very excited to talk with you about. You've got 250 doors in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Am I correct on that? Uh, yeah, actually, um, we just added 42 more last week. So nice, getting close to 300. Um, and, and actually, only about 200 of those are here in Chattanooga. The rest are up in Michigan. So. Okay. Awesome. Well, congrats on uh, closing that deal last week. Um, though, before we kind of dive really into it, I'd love to start back at the beginning and kind of just hear more about your story of how you got into real estate as, as I've heard you've got a pretty interesting backstory. So um, yeah, kind of just, if you don't mind, tell us uh, kind of how it all started for you. Uh, sure. So um, you know, I didn't, um, well, first of all, I always was interested in real estate. I, I guess I was exposed to it as a child. My dad had a few investment properties, like three or four. And, um, and I was the kind of weird kid that got up in the middle of the night and, and would sneak out of my bedroom to watch like late night infomercials about how to buy real estate. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I was just, I just, that's just me, right. I liked it, but I didn't really get started right away. I just kept thinking, you know, well, one of these days I'll get into real estate and it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go to school. And when I get out of school, I'll get a job. When I get a job, I'll uh, make some money. And when I make some money, then I'm going to invest in real estate, you know, as one of those plans. And, uh, it turns out if that's your strategy, um, you should reevaluate because <laughs> what happens is life just keeps going and pretty soon you're, you know, 30 and you still haven't bought any real estate. Um, and, 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 you know, probably would be 40 and then 50 and 60 and, and then, and then retired and still never buy real estate. If you just kept saying someday I'm going to do it because someday it's not the right strategy. Um, I learned that lesson when I got sick. So in 2008, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, at that time, I was a bankruptcy attorney um, practicing law in Michigan and uh, still didn't have any real estate, which pretty sort of proves my point. And uh, I, uh, I had just started the law firm. I was about my third or fourth year in and I had one other attorney working for me. Uh, he quit the week before I was diagnosed, not intentionally, but it was a coincidence. And um, so we went from two attorneys to zero literally in a week's time. Wow. And uh yeah, and our overhead was about five or six thousand a week, so that was a <laughs> was a little bit of a problem because when you have no money coming in, um, and you have a five thousand dollar a week to break even plan, um, you can quickly start to accumulate debt, and that's what happened to me. I went through all my savings, charged up all my credit cards, and ended up personally bankrupt in a, a period of about a year's time, uh, which. It was uh, ironic because it was probably the busiest time ever to be filing bankruptcies. So we had plenty of work. We just couldn't do it. I mean, wow. 2008, I mean, it seemed like everyone wanted to file bankruptcy and we were just uh, scrambling to cover whatever we could to, to not, um, you know, basically just to make sure that the clients we'd already taken in were taken care of. We weren't taking new cases for that entire year, actually. Wow. Yeah. So that's a long way to tell you that um, the way I got into real estate was I lost everything I had and quit my uh, practice of law and moved to Tennessee and took a job working for a transportation company. 
And, uh, but that was a big motivator. I said, geez, uh, I might die. Um, I want to make sure my family's taken care of. So I better figure out how to invest in real estate right now, because then money will still come in, uh, even if I can't work or if I die. And uh, so lesson learned. And so at 31, or so 30, 31, 32, uh, after a year after my bankruptcy, I had saved up $20,000 and the, the market was cheap then. I mean, it was 2011, um, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. And I just, uh, I went with a partner of mine, a friend, a friend from law school, and we bought a, a condo for cash because I didn't have any credit and the condo was $30,000. So I didn't have enough to buy it myself. So I split it with him. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how I got started in real estate. And, and you know, we still own it now. It's probably worth $150,000. So uh, it wasn't exactly a terrible investment, but um, it also wouldn't make it so you could retire. You know, it takes more than just one. Yep. So you, you, there's there's a lot of lessons that you, that you just shared in there. One of them um, being that you, you were obviously diagnosed with, with cancer and, and it was the wake up call of like, wow, life really is short. I feel that a, a lot of us maybe forget that at times that you, life just happens and you kind of forget that there is, there's an inevitability that we will all eventually die one day. And, and I kind of feel like we, we hide that in the back of our brains, like where it's like you put it off kind of like just be procrastinating that thought of like, well, what do I either want to do with the life that I've got? So we also don't know how long, like whenever our last day is going to be. So it's like, well, what can I do with the life that I've got right now? And then two, how can I set up my family if you've got a family? And then three, what are some sources of income that, that I can bring in um, that will continue to bring in cash flow if, if either, you know, I'm sick and I, and I can't go to work or if I'm not around or anything like that. Um, so how did you go from you you said yourself you bought one condo unit but that's not necessarily enough to retire on um how do you go from there to to almost 300 units uh several years later yeah so first before i answer that i'm going to address something you just said actually um the the three things that you mentioned um those are actually the core of everything i think about now actually it's like you you just absorbed it all right out of there it's like um you know one was the third thing you mentioned was you know how do you create income but that's about buying back your time it's about being able to have the flexibility to do the things you want um but the part that the beginning that you were talking about is really important about recognizing that you know we don't know how long we have it um for me yeah it was a wake-up call for sure but i'm very fortunate i mean i have a, a one a day uh chemotherapy treatments, oral chemotherapy that keeps the leukemia that I have controlled. And so every day I get a reminder, if I don't take this pill, I could die, right? If I don't take this, I could die. Um, And even for me, I still kind of put it in the back of my mind and forget about it sometimes, right? So I, you know, I, I wouldn't fault people for not recognizing it. But if you really think about the big decisions in your life, the stuff that you really want to do, 
you have to do them. Like my wife is going to do the um, entirety of the Appalachian trail next year. Awesome. Um, you know, six months in the woods, uh, um, you know, uh, 2,190 miles of hiking. She's never even, well, until last weekend, never even did an overnight tent camping. That's cool. Um, but she's convinced she wants to do it because she's wanted to do it for years. And, and we have the opportunity to do it now. Um, you know, we're getting ready to move to Puerto Rico. And I just told her, I said, well, if you're going to quit your job anyway, like now's the time like you gotta go and i mean actually she brought it up to me first and i was like yeah that's 100 percent correct um and so i think that's really important like you know i don't want to just gloss over that i want to say you know if there's something that you want to do someday someday might never come so you got to figure out how to do it as soon as you can um that's like one of the great secrets to living a really awesome life and uh that's 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 what my goal is now is just to help people do that so anyway now, now that i've said that i'll answer your question about how i went from one to you know nearly 300 units uh it was just one at a time at the beginning you know after that first condo um we found another condo in the same building didn't have any money um but my uh partner on the first one said hey you know i'll loan you half of this one uh, so I was able to borrow the money from him for that one and, and um, later refinanced those and, and paid him off. Um, and then the uh, the next one was uh, we had to get a little creative. Uh, uh, basically, uh, we had these two condos that were free and clear other than the amount I owed to my one partner. But that was an unsecured note that he had signed. I had signed for him. So we actually went and took mortgages on those. And uh, it was about 25,000 on each one. And then we had a third person come in with their own 25,000 and we used that to buy a duplex. So we were just like, and this is all happening really fast. So like the first one was like say March and the next one was April. And then the next one was later in April, right? Like oh, wow. we just went one right after another because, because the market just seemed right. And these were in a pretty good um, neighborhood in a, uh, in a, a suburb of Detroit. And um, I was living in Chattanooga at the time, but my one partner lived in, in that area and was very familiar with it. And I already had some other real estate there. So we just were very confident in the numbers on those. Uh, and and uh, again, highly motivated because I wanted to get some income. And we actually still own all, all three of those properties now, uh, cash flowing. Uh, we refinanced uh, them later and, and bought more stuff with the money. But but I mean, we just kept going on it. And then, um, then we had to get even more creative because we didn't have anything to, you know, anything to really work with. So we started doing some private money stuff, borrowing money from people um, that were scared to put their money in the stock market because the stock market was down or the middle of the recession. Um, and we'd just pay them 6% interest and, and use that money to buy more real estate. Uh, and, and again, we, I didn't have any credit, so I couldn't go to a bank or something like that. And I still had $100,000 in student loans at the time. So I had a huge negative net worth and we were just like, we got to figure this out. Um, also, I had a pretty decent job, so that helped. Um, I was able to save money and reinvest that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I didn't get sick again. That helped too. I mean, honestly, like that's another lesson. Like if I'd started earlier, it would have never been a problem. If I'd started when I was 18, like I wanted to, instead of when I was 32, um, could get that 14 years back, we would have, uh, we would have been in a different spot. But, uh, if I had gotten sicker at that point, uh, who knows, you know, some of it's luck, but also it's taking aggressive action when, when you can, um, and just, just kept doing it. I mean, we, we were buying single families, duplexes and stuff. And I did that through 2017, um, while working a full-time job. So for about five years, 
that's what we were doing. And it got up to about 50 properties that I owned either a half or a third of, and they were all free and clear. We didn't, uh, we, we were able to do some flipping and stuff like that to pay down the private money notes. And we didn't have any bank notes at all. Um, and then in 2017, the company I worked for was getting sold to a bigger company. They offered me a job in their legal department. And I was like, no, don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> I, I wish I didn't even have my license. And it was a giant corporation publicly traded. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So I took a severance package. Uh, it was about six months salary and thought, well, I'll figure something out. And then I just never went back to work. I bought a duplex and fixed it up and renovate, you know, renovated it and refinanced and took the money out. I used the severance to buy that. And then uh, I found this 12 unit building uh, and I went to my dad and I said, dad, I got this great deal. I only have money for a third of it. So you need to pick up the other two thirds. And we bought that. And actually that was October of 2017, the first multifamily I bought. And I just sold it. Um, my dad and I did like two months ago and um and we we doubled our money and since october of 17 so we we paid 600 for it. and of course we've more than doubled our money because we put 20 percent down um but we we paid 600 for it we sold it for 1.2 million so wow so basically double the value in in four years and then we refine we we uh we actually did a 1031 exchange which is basically a tax trick to avoid paying the capital gains on it and bought a different property with those proceeds that's amazing. I love how you, you've you done a, a flurry of different things. One, you got super creative, like where you were saying you didn't necessarily have all the money. Um, and, and there's a quote by uh, Tony Robbins, and it's, it's not about the lack of resources. It's your lack of resourcefulness. And so I love how when you maybe lacked some resources, you got super resourceful and you just like, you got creative and, and said, okay, well, if I can't get either a loan or if I don't have the cash, like I'll either partner or, or I'll figure out a way to do this and then, and then take action as well. Um, and, and it's, it's, I mean, real estate is a beautiful thing for wealth creation in the sense that you can buy something for six hundred thousand. Uh, several years later, you know, double the value, sell it for one point two million. There, there are a few things in the world that that you can do that kind of thing. Um, and on top of that, I mean, that doesn't even bring in the the cash flow that it's that it's bringing in monthly or or the, um, um, you know tax depreciation, any of that kind of stuff that, that you can help with, with as well. It's uh, You also, you kind of glazed over it a little bit, and, and I want to kind of go back because there's one other thing. when I'm confused just, to, or maybe you can clarify, on the properties, the, the first 50 that you did, you were saying you were buying them for cash and then doing a refinance. Were you doing a burr strategy for those 50 or... Yeah, no, not really. What we were doing um, back then is we were buying... Um, so not to get overly complicated, but the short version was we were buying more properties than we were keeping and we were flipping them. Okay. So we'd fix them up and sell them. And then we'd use the proceeds from the flips to buy something to keep. Gotcha. So we actually buy two or three houses, um, you know, one at a time, you'd buy it, fix it up, make a little money, buy it, fix it up, make a little money. And then when we had enough to keep to, the, to where we could essentially buy two, we would buy one that we wanted to keep and then we'd buy another one, fix it up and then just keep repeating that. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a lot of that. And, and this is a weird time in the market. It, these were houses that were 20 or $30,000 houses uh, in, in Metro Detroit that um, had rent that were six, $700 a month. So the returns were ridiculous on wow. them. 
Um, and so we were able to sell them to out of state and in some kind of cases out of country investors that um, really just wanted to make an eight or 9% return. So we were selling them really above what, what they would sell for domestically. Um, and, and it was fine because they didn't care. They just wanted that cash flow and they were paying cash. So, you know, you might buy a house for 20,000, put 5,000 into it or 10,000 into it and then sell it for 40 or 45. It wasn't an enormous amount of cash in each deal, but um, you know, you make 10 or 15,000 and then you bought yourself a $30,000 house for cash after doing a couple of them and we just kept them. And then those have appreciated a tremendous amount. In fact, after we bought that first 12 unit with my dad, um, we bought a, uh, that was in October. In November, we bought a 19 unit. And then um, in uh, April of the next year, we actually sold a package of 10 houses and used that money due to a 1031 to buy a 32 unit. And that's really when we started to grow. Once we had gotten three multifamily properties, we were able to really start growing and start getting a little bit, um, you know, it becomes a lot easier to do financing. So two things happened. One, we had more income coming in. So it was easier for banks to justify financing. But then the other thing happened is, um, I got to that 10 years past my bankruptcy mark. And so my credit score went up like 100 points overnight. Uh, and also the bankruptcy goes off the report completely. And uh, banks didn't care about it anymore. Uh, they didn't care that much. Um you know, you know, seven years post bankruptcy, you know, you could explain it, you'd say, Hey, you know, I got leukemia, but I had to write a letter. And, you know, the underwriters always had questions and stuff. It just got a lot easier to finance stuff after that. Um, and so that that really helped. And then, of course, values had gone up during that time. So we had a lot of equity. So we we're able to just start doing refinances at that point, pull out cash and then redeploy it to other deals. That's awesome. I've got I've got kind of a split question for you and it's one where do, where do you think we are in kind of like the market that we're in right now because it's for someone that's kind of getting into it it's it's pretty daunting where prices are like at all-time highs people are like is there a bubble coming there's this inflation I don't know whether I should buy whether I should hold whether I should wait whether I should rush into it so one, where do you think we're kind of at with this current market? And then two, what advice would you have for someone that wants to get into real estate in our in our current market and situation? Sure. So um, that's a great question. So the, the first thing is, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't. I wish I could say I knew exactly where we're in the market. I've thought about this a lot, of course, and it's a big issue. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of really interesting resources on this. There's a guy who... I've, forget his name right now, but there's a professor, Ivy League professor that wrote this um, fascinating article called The Depression of 2008, um, where he talks about how there was going to be a giant real estate market crash. And notice I said where he talks about there was going to be. Um, he actually wrote that article in 1999. Um, wow. And he hit it right on the market. And he uses an economic model um, based on an 18-year real estate cycle, um, peak to peak. Um, and he shows back to 1850 or something where it's almost always 18 years. So he's able to predict the market and say, look, we're due. It's going to hit in 2008. Well, if you go by that, like the next peak should be 2024, which is, you know, three years down the road. So we may have room left. Um, so that's one way to look at it. And, you know, and he has written a, a thing called the, the, the recession of 2024. He doesn't think it's going to be as bad as the 2008 one. Um, so you might look for that and, and study on that a little bit. The other thing you can look at is, um, 
you know, there's only four cycle. There's only four segments to the the real estate cycle. There's there's essentially uh, expansion, hyper supply, recession, and then recovery, and it just goes in a loop. Um, well, I know we're not in recession or recovery right now. We're definitely either in expansion or hyper supply. Um, and if we're in hyper supply, which it's kind of where I think most of the real estate market is, then the next step is recession. So, you know, we start thinking about that and there are ways to check this too. So um, one thing that's a really important indicator of where we are in the market cycle is the direction of occupancy and then the the long-term historical occupancy, like where we are relative to that. So if occupancy rates are going up, then, you know, we're probably fine for a while. If they're starting to decline, Rents will keep going up, values will keep going up, but occupancy will go go down. That's hyper supply. That basically means more new supplies coming on the market than it's being absorbed. And uh, that's a sign that recession is around the corner, but that can, that can last one or two years. So that if you look at that combined with the 18-year real estate cycle, it's very possible we have a few years left on that indicator as well. Because one thing that the coronavirus has done um, is it's kind of reset that. Like, I think we were definitely in hyper supply a year ago. Now, um, occupancy levels are really high and they don't seem to be falling. There seems to be a lot of demand for, for rental property. And I think what happened is um, a year and a half ago, people stopped building new stuff. And, um, and then they put a ton of stimulus into the economy on top of that. And so you have a lot of demand that's pent up and people weren't buying stuff and they weren't moving. And now all of a sudden everyone wants to, you know, stuff starting to open back up and start people doing these things. So that may actually have shifted it further back. So that's a long way of saying like, I have no clue, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I do have um, some observations on this. One is it doesn't matter. So, you know, you ask the second part of your question is, well, what would you do now? What I always tell people is that timing the market cycle is actually really, really easy if you don't mind riding it out, right? The market tends to go up over the long term. It has to do with population, job, and economic growth, uh, immigration, things like that. Um, and if you look at it, you know, over a 50-year period, prices go up, rents go up. Like, we know that for sure. So if you buy whenever, you know, you buy today, and let's say the market peaks today and, you know, it goes way down tomorrow, um, if you still have cash flow and you have long-term debt in place, you just keep that property. It still pays for itself uh, and it eventually recovers. And, and honestly, even if it doesn't, like if you bought a, just to make the math really easy, say you bought a property for 100000 you put $20,000 down, uh, and tomorrow it's only worth 50000 that would feel like a disaster. You could say I lost $50,000, but you still have the property. If it's still cash flowing the same it was before because rents didn't go down and they didn't in the last recession. So uh, there's an argument to say that could happen again, um, especially with all the stimulus out there. If anything, they might continue to go up even in a recession, right? Um, but if you did that and then um, you know you wait a while, eventually it might be worth 80,000 or 100,000 again. Um, but even if it didn't, let's say it was worth 50,000 30 years from now, right? You could still be like, oh, this is a disaster. I paid 100,000 and it's only worth 50. But the truth is, you didn't pay 100,000, you paid 20. That's what you put down on it. Um, and now it's paid off because 30 years have gone by and someone else paid your mortgage, your tenants did. So, I mean, uh, over the long time term, it's super, super forgiving. I mean, uh, if you bought in 2006 at the top of the last market, and you sold in 2010, yeah, you got crushed. But if you bought in 2006 and you sold now, 
I mean, <laughs> you're super happy. In fact, if anyone bought in 2006 and you want to just sell for what you paid, I don't even need to know anything about it. I probably will buy it from you right now. So that's awesome. Uh, so that's kind of how I look at it. It's like just make sure now, because of where we are in the cycle, be careful. Make sure you know your numbers, get good cash flow, get long-term debt in place so that you don't have to refinance three years from now. Uh, and you probably will be fine. I mean, so that, that'd be my advice is like, don't wait. Um, waiting doesn't help. I've known people that got out of the market in 2013 and 14 saying the market's too high. I'm going to wait for the next crash. I guarantee you they would have been better off now. <laughs> you know, like maybe if you get out now and wait for a crash, you might be better off. But um, because if it crashes next year, uh, you know, it would be great to wait till next year. But but knowing when the crash is coming is very difficult. And, and apparently, I remember that Ivy League guy's name was Fred Fulvery. Um, unless you're Fred Fulvery, apparently, then maybe you can uh, predict the crash exactly. Yeah, I, I love your advice on just going forward with it because one, we never know um, like when it's going to peak, when it's going to crash, if it's going to crash, any of that kind of stuff. But two, and arguably the, the better piece of advice here still is if you just buy and hold, it will either eventually go up or your mortgage will get paid out by, by renters 30 years down and the 20% down that you put in still like you, you get that, that spread difference back anyway, even like what you said, if you bought it for a hundred thousand, you put 20 in fit or 30 years later, even if it was only worth 50, which is very unlikely. Um, I would say so. I mean, it theoretically could be worth 10, right. And you could have right. lost money, but, but that doesn't even account for the cash flow, right? You still got cash flow that whole time. So presumably if you bought something now, put $20,000 down, you'd want some kind of return. Like maybe you want to like something, even if your super low return was like 5% on your money, right? Well, 5% on $20,000 would be ridiculous. You shouldn't do it. You should go for 15 or something. But, but like, if you were getting 5%, it's still over 30 years would have paid you the 20,000 back and then a bunch more. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's, it's almost impossible over the long term to lose in this stuff, as long as you have cash flowing assets and long term debt. I mean, those are the keys, right? I mean, and, and that doesn't even account for the other things that you alluded to earlier, like the tax advantages of real estate, um, you know, and, and then, you know, all that. I mean, there's really four ways you make money in real estate and cash flow is just one of them. The others are tax advantages, appreciation, and then the debt pay down, which people forget that one. That's huge. I mean, I've about $10 million in debt now. And uh, that, and, and then most of it's on 20 year stuff. So this stuff is paying off like, you know, a million dollars a year on the debt or something like that. I mean, that's just crazy, right? Like, wow. like you start paying off half a million or a million dollars a year. And I mean, that's a great wealth accelerator. Now I have partners in a lot of that, so it doesn't all go to me, but, but if I did nothing else uh, and just waited out that, you know, 15 or 20 years that are left on those things, it would just, it's just insane. And then of course, once the debt's liquidated, assuming you don't refinance or something, which you probably should, because your return on equity goes down as you get more equity. Um, but if you uh, didn't refinance, when you get to the end, all of a sudden your cash flow jumps up like crazy, because now you don't have any debt service anymore. 
Uh, and I always think of cash flow as the measure of safety. That's the one that everyone says, oh, they want cash flow. Um, but that, you don't cash flow your way to wealth. You actually get wealth by building equity. Um, the cash flow is just the safety mechanism. The more cash flow, the safer the deal is. So yeah. you want to juice up your cash flow as much as you can, um, but also recognizing that um, leverage supercharges your return. So like you don't want to like juice up your cash flow by having free and clear assets unless you're very, very risk adverse. Uh, I like risk. I think risk accelerates returns. I mean, they always say the riskier something is, the better your return is. That's actually true um, as long as you can weather the storm of whatever that risk is. Yeah. So you want to balance it with the cash flow, which mitigates your risk, and then you're in a really great spot. Yeah. And that... I 100% agree with with all of that. Um, the one thing that we haven't even discussed is how inflation kind of taps into that with our current state right now and where we're at with inflation and where we're at with with long-term debt rates right now at a, at a lo- like, you know, arguably some of the lowest that we've ever had. Um, long story short, I think real estate is a very safe bet. And, and leading back to what you had said previously, it is very... Um, forgiving in the sense that even if you make a mistake over the long period, it's very forgiving. Um, and especially if you do the numbers correctly and you've got the cash flow uh, set up, obviously there are still ways. I wouldn't say just go out and buy whatever property you can at whatever price you can, because it's listed at that price or whatever. You d- you've got to learn a little bit how to run the numbers and how to calculate cash flow and, and, you know, pure cash flow or true cash flow, any of that kind of stuff. Um, meaning like minus your expenses. But but again, over the long run, even with some mistakes, it can be very forgiving. Asset. Yeah, I mean, that 12-unit building I paid uh, that I bought, the first apartment complex I bought, actually, I think I overpaid for it. Like looking back at it now, I probably paid 100000 more than I should have. That's terrible. I put $130,000 down and overpaid by 100000 So I threw away like most of the money, right? But... Um, you know, we still made $550,000 on a $130,000 investment in four years. So, you know, maybe I overpaid, but in the reality by waiting, now granted the market cycle helped a lot with that, you know, I bought it at the right time, but you know, even if I, even if it was still worth 600,000 now, it wouldn't wouldn't matter because it's paying for itself. Right. I mean, uh, when we sold, we, um, you know, we owed less than 450 or something like that. And, you know, that, that, that extra 50, $60,000 is it's real money. It it adds up and it just keeps accelerating. So it's a, it's really amazing. And you mentioned inflation. Um, This is something I've been posting about on Facebook a lot and people have been arguing with me, but I'm very convinced that the goal for everyone right now should be borrow as much money as you can, because as long as you can invest at the rate of inflation, which is, you know, if you take the numbers that are telling us is 5%, um, I think it's more, but you're borrowing at three and a half or 4%. I mean, you're getting a spread on inflation. Like, honestly, can you tell me that you don't think toilet paper is going to be 5% more expensive next year? Because I think it will be, it's more than that more expensive since last year. Right. You know? And so if, even if you didn't have an investment to make, you almost be better off to borrow the money at four, 4% and go buy a bunch of toilet paper and just use it next year. Cause yeah. you'll come out ahead. Right. Yeah. So like when you start looking at it that way, it's like, I've been saying, you know, I, I know I have about 10 million in debt. I said that earlier, but that was my goal for the year was to borrow 10 million additional dollars because 
for the first time in history, they're loaning us money at below the rate of inflation. It's never happened before. It probably will never happen again. They've just thrown so much stimulus in the market that they've artificially lowered rates to an unsustainably low level at a time when there's an enormous amount of inflation coming. Uh, at some point, they're going to raise rates and reverse that. Um, but maybe not for a while because they need inflation. There's so much debt in the U.S. economy that they need to inflate away the national debt that they've created over the last few years. So that I think they're purposefully doing it. I um, could be wrong, but man, I'm a little cynical about this stuff. And I think that's what they're doing. Well, if that's what they're doing, the best way to protect yourself is acquire assets and debt because debt is, you know, you're going to pay it back with cheaper dollars in the future. Yep. No, I, I I couldn't agree more. My mindset is definitely uh, in line with everything that you're stating right there. And um, again, I, I very much could be wrong and I could be making, you know, a huge mistake, but I'm, I'm also trying to ride that train of like, I'm guessing that some very smart, much smarter minds than myself that work, you know, within the government or whatever are aware of the U.S. debt. And, the, and one of the easiest ways to come out of that is to in, inflate your way out, um, like what they did after World War II. Yeah, it might be it might be the only way. Right. Yeah. Like, um, if you owe a whole bunch of dollars and you have only two ways to generate revenue. Right. They can either make more dollars, which costs them nothing. It creates inflation, but it doesn't cost the government anything. Um, it, it's a it's an invisible tax, one that the people don't get mad about. Right. As long as you keep it under control and prices don't go up 50 percent in one day or something. You know, they go up 10 percent a year and everyone complains about how the greedy corporate executives are overcharging them for everything. Everything, right? That's what they'll say. But the reality is, it's just the there's more dollars. It's not that the prices went up, it's the dollars went down. Um, and so it's the government's fault, but you know, they don't get the blame for it. Or they can raise taxes and cut spending. And you know they're not doing that. They've never done that. They they raise taxes sometimes and then they just spend even more, right? So they can't the only option they really have realistically that they have the politically political will for is to uh, just keep inflating away the debt because they can't pay it. I mean, if, if, if interest rates go up, which is what happens when you raise taxes and cut spending um, and cut the stimulus that they have in there, um, then the service of the debt goes up and it's already billion, hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Uh, if, if we had 5% or 6% interest rates right now, the government would literally not be able to pay their debt and they'd have to make more money and that would lower the interest rates back down. So they really don't even, it might not even be they have control of it. It might, they might have gotten out of control to the point where they have no choice but to allow inflation to occur. Yeah. And if that is the case, then I, then I think you're correct that the best, one of the best anyway, or at least one of the best things that I can think of is to accumulate assets and, and accumulate that with um, debt that you can, long-term debt uh, at low interest rates. So Yeah. And, and, and don't think of cash as an asset. Like a lot of people, people for, for generations, we've been trained to say cash in the bank is an asset. Yeah. Um, it's, it is an asset if you can get an interest rate on that that exceeds inflation. But in reality, cash in the bank loses value relative to inflation every single year. Uh, real purchasing power declines. So cash is not an asset. Cash is like cash flow. It's a safety measure. The more cash you have, the, the safer you are as far as paying your liabilities go. But um, cash flow is a much better measure of safety. And the only way you get cash flow is to convert your cash into assets that produce new cash. And new cash is always better than cash that you just have sitting around. Yeah, I love that. 
I could I could uh, talk with you all day about this, Jeffrey. This is amazing. Uh, you're definitely dropping some serious nuggets of gold uh, on the show. I want to also hear more about your podcast as well. Um, the last life is it last life ever podcast? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so that comes out of, um, you know, recognizing your own mortality, which we kind of alluded to at the beginning and saying, Hey, we only get this one chance to live this life right now. And we can't, I always tell people you actually owe it to yourself, but not only yourself, but to your family, your community and the world to live the best version of your life. Like, um, and some of that's, you know, doing exciting and adventurous things, but some of it's giving back, creating charities, um, just generally being positive. I have this personal life philosophy where 26 years ago, I gave up bad days. So I've had bad stuff happen to me, but I, I don't see a reason to let it ruin my day. So I just don't. Um, and people go, well, that, that can't be like, you got diagnosed with leukemia. That had to be a bad day. But the reality is, I didn't get diagnosed till 10 o'clock at night. So most of the day was pretty good. Like why let one little thing ruin your day? You know, the next day was a little bit harder, but um, at that point I'd already been 13 years of not having bad days. So I figured I'd just figure it out. Um, and what happened is, you know, your Tony Robbins has this thing. He talks about the reticular activating system. This is like when um, you get a new car and all of a sudden it seems like everyone has that car. It's not that those cars were weren't there before it's that your subconscious mind defaults to the familiar so if you can spend a lot of time in positivity it becomes very familiar to your subconscious mind and then you see positive things instead of negative things and, and the truth is good and bad stuff happened to everyone every single day um you know the day that i was in the hospital the day after i was diagnosed i could have sat around and been like oh man i'm dying and i, I thought i was dying i mean I, we were in this Point where it was like, you know, maybe I'll make it till Christmas and it was September. Right. Um, but, but instead I, um, at about two in the afternoon, there was a shift change at the hospital and a new nurse came in and I looked at her and she looked at me and she said, Oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry you're here. And I went, Oh my God, Shelly, I'm so happy I'm here because I hadn't seen this. It was a childhood babysitter of mine that I hadn't seen in a, in a couple of decades, you know? And so I was just like, this is a great opportunity to reconnect with one of my favorite childhood um, babysitters. And, and the thing is like, this not having bad days, it's actually easier than having bad days. Once you get into the flow of it, the first month or so is tricky. But if you just keep telling yourself today's a good day over and over again, you know, do those mantras and affirmations. I mean, I have, um, you know, I, I carry around my little no bad days coffee cups and stuff, you know, and I have no bad days t-shirts and whatever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's gotten really easy for me because if you say to me, and if I walk into a grocery store and someone says, how are you doing today? I just go, I never have bad days. Like, I just don't, you know, that's, it, it, and it didn't happen immediately. But after about a month of like really just sort of leaning into finding positive and everything, uh, it really helped. So, so that's why we created Last Life Ever, though. So, you know, first I created a show about real estate where we, uh, where we drink old fashions and talk about real estate on YouTube. It's called I the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show. Yeah, and it's fun. And that was just about helping people buy back time. You know, at the beginning, you listed those three things. Um, one was, I want to help people buy back their time. So I'm going to give them some free information about real estate investing, um, help people by letting them invest alongside of me and some deals, stuff like that. Um, and that was really, really great. Um, but then I started realizing not everyone wants to invest in real estate. And that's, a, that's okay, too. 
Um, but everyone has hopes and dreams and desires and things that they want, and they're not all pursuing them. So last life ever, we started a Facebook group and then we started a podcast where we just started interviewing people that were doing extraordinary things. Sometimes ordinary people that started charities, sometimes like Olympic gold medalists or famous comedians, you know, like we interviewed TJ Miller, the bartender from Deadpool. That was awesome. But some of my favorite interviews, they weren't famous people. Um, one interview is a guy, he, I mean, he's an author, but but I mean, his book was a reasonably good selling book, but it was about the Appalachian Trail. And, and I think this is probably what inspired my wife uh, actually is we interviewed him and his name was Jeff Alt. And he wrote this book called Walk for Sunshine. And Jeff said to me that he had gotten into an accident and almost died when he was 19. Um, if it had turned out a little bit different, he would have been crushed because the car rolled over and he happened to, it didn't hit him. Like he just bounced right past him and he, he wow. was fine. And um I think that's the story. It was a while ago, but it was something like that. And, um, and he realized, you know, he wanted to walk the Appalachian trail was something he wanted to do. And he was like, you know, you can't bank on your health. You just don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and uh, that really resonated with me because that's, you know, that's, that's my point, right? That's, that's the whole thing. Like I was 30 and relatively healthy. And I thought, why am I sick now? Like, why, why am I tired? And I went to the doctor and found out I was literally dying, you know, and, and you don't expect that at 30. You don't even think about it at 30, but the truth is we're all dying. Every single one of us is terminal, unfortunately, even if they have huge advances in medical science and, and eliminate aging and, and all disease, we're still all going to die because eventually there's going to be the energy death of the universe. And I mean, listen, if I can live to the energy death of the universe, I'm super happy about it, <laughs> but I'm not super optimistic that that's going to occur, right? Like I suspect, you know, 40 or 50 years, and I'm going to be happy about that too. Uh, and so that's why you got to do those things now. And, um, and that's what we talk about on Last Life Ever is just, you know, living the best version of your life, whatever that means to you, and just pursuing your goals and passions. And, and uh, it's not selfish, you know, um, I think people sometimes think, oh, if I get rich and, and, you know, have a private jet, I'm being selfish. But the truth is, the world, the universe, uh, you know, whatever you want to look at it, it rewards uh, value. So if you provide a lot of value to the world, you get value back. You know, I mean, I have a lot of real estate, but what I think about all the time is I'm providing affordable, high quality housing to 300 families. People that, that if I didn't provide that service, they wouldn't get that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have a place to live or they'd have a worse place to live or a more expensive place to live. And the more of those properties I can provide, the cheaper it gets for them. And frankly, the more money I make. So it's good for both of us. And um, it's, it's just a really great way to think about the world is that, you know, you have this unique desires and drives inside of you. And if you lean into those, you make the whole world better, right? There's only ever going to be one Nick. You're the only guy ever that's going to have that exact potential talent and, 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 you know, desires and hopes and dreams. And so you really just have to go for them because it makes the whole world better. So yep. that's how I look at it. And, um, that's what that shows about. So Jeff, I love that. Um, I think you and I are, are two peas in a pod. We have a very similar mindset and, uh, I, t I mean, the, the reason why I started this podcast was simply to, to give back uh, to, to my community, to society, and, and to the planet. And, and those are like three things that I try to regularly remind myself uh, each day. I try to go for a walk and do a gratitude practice. And, and those are three things that I try to remind myself uh, daily that I'm 
they're goals of mine that I'm continually working on. And, and I too, even with the, the small uh, portfolio of real estate that I have in comparison, um, I too remind myself that I, what I'm doing is I'm provo- providing um, nice, affordable housing for people. And, and I'm so thankful that I'm able to do that as well as that I've got property managers that take care of my tenants, that take care of my property. And the fact that I'm able to, to make a, you know, a, a profit split or some cash flow on the side while doing that is, is incredible. But the fact is that I'm able to provide that in the first place. And, and if I never bought the property, then I, that I could never provide that value as well. So, um, I, I love everything that you've just said there, Jeff. And, uh, yeah, I, I love what you're doing. I love the no bad days attitude as well. I actually, um, I had listened to one of your podcasts a couple of days ago and, and I heard the no bad days attitude and I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to implement that into my life. And I try to live a very positive life. Uh, I'm very grateful for all that I have. And, and honestly, life is very good to me. Um, but I, but I still heard your no bad days attitude. And I was like, I'm just going to implement that every day. And I, I've got to buy the coffee mug still. I've, I've got to go get one. Maybe I'll buy one of yours. <laughs> I'm not very good at monetizing this stuff, but yeah. but the but the reality of all this stuff is like, um, I I love hearing it when people tell me that they're giving up bad days because the reality, yeah. it's just so freaking great. It makes your life so much better. And there's science behind it. It's not just the reticular activating system like, um, there's like, you know, I geek out on this stuff. So I read books like hardwiring happiness, which is about how the more time you spend in positivity, that it really rewires the neural pathways in your brain. Um, and, it be, and, and those neuro, more, the more you use a specific neural pathway, the easier it is for electrons and, and neurons to jump those pathways. And so they become stronger and the other ones actually literally erode over time and it becomes harder to have negative stop thoughts. And, uh, and you can train yourself to do this. Like, you know, something bad happens, you just think about, well, what, what can I learn from this? What's positive? That That's one thing. But another thing you can do is literally just like take a moment, like you do the gratitude walks, those kinds of things actually do train happiness into your life. Even something as simple as stopping for five seconds when you walk outside and the sun hits your face and think, this is really nice. The sun's yep. in my face. You know, just a few seconds of doing that every so often over time, creates a happy brain and a happy brain creates a happy life. I, I, I love everything you're saying, uh, Jeff, this is awesome. In the first day of, uh, of implementing my like no bad days attitude, um, again, not saying that I really had bad days prior to that, but just thinking like, Oh, I'm going to like stick with this. I woke up and I burnt my sauna down. And I, I talked about this previously on, uh, on last week's podcast, but I, I built this cool sauna. I was really proud of it. It took me a while to do. Um, and anyway, I got it going really hot. <laughs> I clearly made some mistakes and I burnt it down and I just woke up in the morning and instead of being like pretty bummed about it, I was like, well, no bad days. Uh, well, here we go. Day one of no bad days. Like, when, What you got to do with that is you got to be like, look at all the stuff you learned. That yeah, exactly. It's going to be so much better, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I'll give you another example. Like just recently, um, you know, I, I got a little bit, you know, because some stuff can still bother you, right? It's okay. Like, you know, you can be irritated that your sauna burned down. It doesn't have to ruin your day though, right? Correct. Like, so I got diagnosed with melanoma earlier this year and I was like, 
well, this is bad luck. Like, I don't want to have one cancer. Now I have two. Right. So, um, and, and I, uh, at first I was like, Whoa. And I was like, this is not good. Cause melanoma is serious skin cancer. You don't want it if you can avoid it. My pro tip is avoid all cancers, but if you're going to pick, you know, don't pick melanoma. Um, so, uh, or leukemia for that matter. So, you know, I've won the lottery a couple of times on that, but, but what happened is at first I was like, Whoa, this is really bad. And I went and told, I, I went to my wife's work and I, I told her, I said that. I just found this out and, and I, you know, I was upset about it. And then she was like, yeah, that's, that's bad. And I'm like, but you know, I think it's going to be okay. I caught it really early. We're going to do the surgery and all this stuff. And then when I was saying that, I went, you know, actually someday this is going to be a great story on a podcast. And like, literally <laughs> then I was like, actually, I'm kind of happy I have melanoma. Like they're going to cut this crap out and then I'm going to be able to talk about it and to say, Hey, see, this is what could happen. Like you can burn down your sauna, you can get diagnosed with melanoma and you can walk outside and see a bluebird and smile. You know, that's really what it is. It's like, you can just have a little blue jay flying around sitting on your shoulder, like, you know, do da day kind of style. And, 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 and it's, it sounds weird, but like that, that's really how it works. Like, and you know, like when I got diagnosed with leukemia, that objectively wasn't the best thing to have happened, but in retrospect, it might've been the best thing that happened. Right. So the fact that I thought it was a good day and then it turns out to actually have been a really good day because Otherwise I might be like a marginally happy, but like unsuccessful bankruptcy attorney right now. Uh, and instead I uh, have this huge portfolio of real estate and I get to move to Puerto Rico. And I went to um, Africa for a month last year and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I would never have been able to take a month off when I was practicing law. Buying back your time is, it's one of the greatest decisions I ever made. And, I, and it happened on accident because I got sick. So you know, that, that negative turned really positive, really fast. I love that, Jeff. I love your attitude. I love your positivity and, um, just everything that you've shared here with us. This is, it's, it's so incredible. And, and I couldn't encourage our listeners to apply this, uh, more because I, it, I try as much as I can daily to remind myself to always be positive. And, and like what you said, even when, when things do go, you know, quote unquote wrong or, or just things are unfavorable situations, realize that, that some of those situations 10 years down the line, you'll look back like what you just said, and you might say, man, I'm so glad this happened. And I'm not saying that you're, you're glad that you got uh, cancer or leukemia or anything, but like what you said, maybe if you didn't, maybe you would be, you know, living a, a mediocre life as a lawyer or something and not going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So you know, everything, it's, it's all how you look at life. And, uh, and I just, I love that you've been looking at it with the positive lens, Jeff. So thank you for sharing that with us. Keep uh, projecting your positivity and your no bad days. And uh, maybe you should go make some mugs and sell them because I'll buy one from you. That's for sure. Jeff, I'm going to move us on to uh, the second section of the, the show that I call the fire round and just um, fire off a couple quick questions that I ask all of our guests. Jeff, do you have a favorite quote that you live by? Oh, I have a lot. Yes. But the one that I think of the most is um, uh, it's actually by Hell Elrod. And it's um, the, the moment that you accept complete responsibility for anything in your life is the moment you can change anything in your life. I love that. Wow. That's powerful. Um, do you by chance have a, a favorite book, whether it be real estate or mindset or anything, or even just something that you're currently reading right now? 
Uh, well, yes, to all of those. <laughs> um, I love books. Um, I've re read a lot of books. I actually track all the books I read. But um, right now, what jumps out at me is actually Travels by Michael Crichton. It might be my favorite book I ever read. Uh, he is an extraordinary person that lived a really crazy life. Um, medical, you know, Harvard trained medical doctor, never practiced medicine, uh, novelist, the only guy ever to, um, and he doesn't even brag about it in the book, but he's literally the only guy ever to have a best-selling book, um, the number one movie and the number one TV show all at the same time. Uh, wow. He created ER, Jurassic Park, and uh, and uh, all of those came, all of those out at the same time. Uh, and honestly, one of the greatest, um, the greatest things, you know, great, just an extraordinary life and it's fascinating i mean i don't agree with everything he did in his life but but uh, i would definitely recommend that book to people to inspire them to do big things awesome i have not checked that book out uh so i will have to go and uh, order that right after this um what might be a lesson jeff that you've learned recently whether it be through mistake or success uh okay um i should have taken time to think about this question you know because i love your show but um uh so uh well, obviously, you know, the, the biggest lesson is just, you know, to focus on your life, but, um, and, you know, recognizing that you only have this one life, but something that I learned recently is that, um, it's really easy to be wrong about this stuff. So when we're talking about like the real estate stuff and everything like that, um, you know, I really appreciate you saying, well, you know, I could be wrong because it's real easy when you're successful to look at it and go, Hey, I'm, I'm successful. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not going to make mistakes because we can make mistakes. It is possible. Um, I've bought deals that didn't work out. Um, I could be wrong about inflation. Like maybe prices are going to crash tomorrow and I'm going to really regret saying go buy stuff. Yeah. Um, so I just constantly think about the downside and, and I'm really like, you know, I think mitigating risk becomes really important as a result of that. So I love that advice and, and just being humble about and being aware, I guess, that that you could be wrong. Um, and because it's almost like the more successful you are, the more that it like leads you astray to thinking that you will continue to always be successful and that you'll always be right. Where it's like and this yeah. is true in everything in life, too. It's not just like an investment thing, right? It's like it's very easy to become overconfident in your abilities because you've done something a few times and it's worked out. And 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 it's actually um Matthew McConaughey talks about this in his book, um, uh, which is a great book, Green Lights, by the way. That's another one I should have recommended. But he talks about how, like, when you're gambling, uh, like, say you're betting on sports teams, and, like, you, you get all – he gets all geeked out on it, and he'll be like – he basically said, look, if I um, make a bet on, on the Super Bowl and I'm right, it's like – I tell everyone, you were an idiot to disagree with me. Everyone should have been able to predict it. It was so obvious. But if I get it wrong, I think, man, that was really unlucky. Like, it sh I should have been right. But like all these things that no one could have possibly predicted happened. And, and that's actually really insightful um, because it applies to everything in life, right? Like if we make the right bet, we, we bet on ourselves to like, say I moved to Puerto Rico and it works out really well. I'm going to be like, wow, see, I knew moving to Puerto Rico was a good idea. If it doesn't work out well, I'm going to be like, well, I didn't know this was going to happen and that happened and this, you know, like it's really easy to blame external stuff when things go wrong and to like credit yourself for everything that goes right. So it's important to recognize the element of luck in everything we do and not be overly confident in, in your ability. 
I I love that. I'm uh if you weren't aware, Jeff, I'm a I'm a professional kayaker as well and I do a lot of freestyle competitions and stuff like that. And and over the years, and it has taken me a lot of uh a lot of wins and losses to figure this out. Uh definitely more in the losses, but that you realize that when you win an event, and this could be in real estate, it could be any win, like what you're saying in gambling, you you think, oh, I won because I'm good, or I, I won because I deserve it, or, or I put in the hard work, or whatever. But when you lose, you think, oh, I got unlucky. Oh, they, I can't believe the judge gave them that, those points and not me this points, or what, all these different things. But you never think of it the opposite when you're winning. You never think, wow, I got really lucky. I can't believe that I won instead of this other person. You think, oh, yeah, I deserved it. And so I love that advice to to reflect on your wins and losses in the same way as that there might be luck involved in both of them and that when you win, it's not always skill and when you lose, it's not always uh, unlucky. So great advice there, Jeff. Um, one question that I've got that, that, uh, that I ask all of our guests, um, if today was your last day on earth, and everything that you were to have done, uh, and we've kind of talked about this a fair amount already, so I'm intrigued to hear your answer, but if everything that you've done, all your real estate, all your podcasts, all your um, old-fashioned real estate videos on on YouTube and such, uh, it was all to be gone and, and erased with you, and the only thing that you were left with was a pen and a paper, and you could leave three truths three things to be true that you would leave for your family, your friends, uh, future generations, what would your three truths be? That's a great question. Um, wow. Uh, all right. So the first one would be, uh, don't wait, just, just do it now. Right. Um, and, and related to that, um, I think I would have just probably wouldn't even say that I probably would quote Richard Branson and say that uh, the difference between successful people and those who never succeed is that successful people take action without all the possible information. Um, so I really love that. So I would say, just don't wait, just do it, you know, take that chance. Um, that's the first one. Uh, the second one is um, take time to think and reflect clearly about what you really, really desire like understand what it is that you want to desire and lean what, what it is that you want to accomplish and leave for the next generation, for your family um, and, and lean into that as much as you can. And then, and then the third one is, uh, you know, have fun, just, just have fun, enjoy all of it. I love that. Jeff, those are three great tips. Thank you so very much for all of the advice, all of the nuggets of gold that you have shared with us on this show. This has been incredible, and and I thoroughly enjoy uh, talking with you. Something that I always try to do on all of my shows, uh, especially where I bring in guests, is is I try to provide value as well, um, being that you have provided so much value for me and our listeners. So is there something that you're currently focusing on, Jeff, that I might be able to help you out with or, or again, possibly even my listeners? Hmm, well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, you know, my focus right now is, um, is really on this move. It's actually a really big process, right? Um, and so I don't, I don't know how you can help me with that unless you want to come pack my bags or something, but, uh, but, uh, listen, um, 
the, the biggest thing that people can do to help me is just really just, you know, continue to share that last life ever philosophy, because that's my biggest goal in life. Like if I can help anybody, that's great. But what I really want to do is I want to help a million people figure out a way to live an extraordinary life. And I, I think about extraordinary, a little different than most people. Um, if you're want to be extraordinary, I think, you know, you just got to do like a little bit extra because that's really what extraordinary is. It's just extra and ordinary. So if you're just like living an ordinary life, just do a, a little bit extra um, and, you know, give it, pay it forward. It doesn't have to come to me. Like just go out and do those things, you know, I mean, sure. Join my Facebook group and all that stuff, but, but like really just go out and live the best version of your life. Cause it'll make the whole world better. And then by extension, it'll make me uh, happy because I'll have made a little bit more impact. That's awesome. So there you guys have it. Uh, go check out Jeff's podcast as well, Last Life Ever. Uh, for anybody else that wants to follow along further with your journey, uh, maybe even check out your uh, your move to Puerto Rico, what might be the best way for them to follow you um, and, and just connect? Hard to find. If you Google me, you'll find me. But um, okay. I saw, if, they, if they're interested in Puerto Rico specifically, I actually started a YouTube channel and Facebook group called Puerto Rico Life. That's just about my pending move and what, how I'm thinking about it. And um, there's some various resources of, in, you know, in, in there and it's all free. So people can come check that out. Um, if they want to learn more about last life ever, we do have a private Facebook group for that. Um, or just hit me up on Instagram at Jeffrey Holst. So any of those places would work. I love that. Final question for you, Jeff, what is your definition of awesome? Uh, you, you're awesome. No, <laughs> I mean, I like, listen, uh, for me, um, awesome is just about, you know, like I said, like I've said from the beginning, it's just leaning into living the best version of your life. If I do that, that's great. Like, I hope that someday when I'm old, I have had an interesting enough life that some young kid at a bar next to me will be like, tell me your story and actually care what I have to say. And that's awesome. If you can, if people are going to care about you and love you because of all the cool and interesting things you've done, then you've done well. Awesome. Well, Jeff, you have done some very cool and interesting things, and I thoroughly enjoyed getting to hear your story. Thank you so very much for your time and for sharing it all with all of us. Um, and and again, thank you for all of the, the value and information that you did share. I personally got a ton of value, in it, and I can't wait to uh, continue my real estate moves, and, uh, and we'll definitely have to keep in touch. I'm excited to hear how your uh, Puerto Rico life goes. Um, Again, for all of our listeners out there, I hope you guys got some value out of this. Jeff shared uh, just a ton of stuff. I think you might want to go back and listen to it again. If you want to get into real estate, if you want to take action, if you want to live your best life ever. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, just talking about how to partner on deals, uh, what inflation could be doing. There's so much actual like tangible value that was put in there. And then just beyond that, so much mindset advice that, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite podcasts. So I'll be going back and listening to it again and highly encourage anybody else to do so. If you guys did get value out of this, please, as always, if you guys could share it out with one person, share it out with a friend or a family member, anybody that you think either would love to hear about the real estate aspect, would love to hear about the mindset aspect, would love to just hear about Jeff's story. Um, please share it out. And uh, as always, guys, thank you so very much for listening. I'm Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all an awesome day. Cheers.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.